Our Holy Father in heaven, thank you so much for giving us the privilege of life. Thank you for protection and guidance and thank you for the spiritual blessings that you give to us, your Holy Spirit that is always striving with our sin-sick souls, the work of the holy angels on our behalf and our Lord Jesus interceding for our sins. Glory be unto your name, dear Lord. We pray, Father, that all the labor done by heaven on our behalf shall not be in vain. We ask, Father, that as we go through your word now, by your grace, that we will hear things that will help our characters to become more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in preparation for your coming. Grant to every one of us listening the gift of your Holy Spirit, the endurance to listen also. I pray, Father, that... You will put your words in my mouth, for I have nothing to say to bless your children whom your son died for. I pray, Lord, that we all shall be blessed by what we will hear and edified by it. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage, November 25 To all the world Peter began, I now see how true it is that God has no favorites, but that in every nation, the man who is God-fearing and does what is right is acceptable to him. Acts chapter 10 verse 34 and 35 Peter was called by God to take the gospel to Cornelius. As yet, none of the disciples had preached the gospel to the Gentiles. In their minds, the middle wall of partition, broken down by the death of Christ, still existed, and their labors had been confined to the Jews, for they had looked upon the Gentiles as excluded from the blessing of the gospel. Now. The Lord was seeking to teach Peter the worldwide extent of the divine plan. How carefully the Lord worked to overcome the prejudice against the Gentiles that had been so firmly fixed in Peter's mind by his Jewish training. By the vision of the sheet and its contents, he sought to divest the apostles' mind of this prejudice and to teach the important truth that in heaven there is no respect of persons, that Jew and Gentile are alike precious in God's sight, that through Christ the heathen may be made partakers of the blessings and privileges of the gospel. It was with reluctance at every step that he, Peter, undertook the duty laid upon him, but he dared not disobey. As Peter pointed those present Cornelius and his kinsmen and friends to Jesus as the sinner's only hope, he himself understood more fully the meaning of the vision he had seen, and his heart glowed with the spirit of the truth that he was presenting. When the brethren in Judea heard that Peter had gone to the house of a Gentile and preached to those assembled, they were surprised and offended. They feared that such a course which looked to them presumptuous, would have the effect of counteracting his own teaching. Peter laid the matter before them. 
Convinced that Peter's course was in direct fulfillment of the plan of God and that their prejudices and exclusiveness were utterly contrary to the spirit of the gospel, they glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is To All the World. Amen. In the days of Peter the Apostles, just like it is for us today, we may not know everything. And one thing that they still struggled with, a hangover from the false teachings of the past for the Apostles, filled with the Holy Spirit as they were, was that they did not understand the wide extent of the plan of salvation. This is the effect of false teachings, how deeply rooted it was in them. In the book of Isaiah 11 verse 10, a prophecy is written there. It says, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Also in the book of Isaiah 42 verse 1 to 7, speaking about the Messiah and his connection with the Gentiles, the, the previous passage I just read also was speaking about that, how the Gentiles will look unto Jesus. He is the one that is the root of Jesse. Now in Isaiah 42 verse 1 to 7, another prophecy concerning the extent of the ministry of Jesus is written and how that through Jesus the Gentiles will see light. It says, Behold my servant whom I will uphold mine elect in whom my soul delighted i have put my spirit upon him he shall bring forth judgment to the gentiles and remember that judgment is not a bad thing it's a good thing remember jesus said that whosoever does not come to the son is condemned already the purpose of the judgment is to restore life to those who have already been condemned to death that is the purpose of the judgment the jews already had access to this judgment but the gentiles were not yet having that access but this prophecy is saying that this servant of the lord will bring forth judgment to the gentiles verse 2 goes on to say he shall not cry nor lift up nor cause his voice to be heard in the street a bruised reed shall he not break and the smoking flax shall he not quench he shall bring forth judgment unto truth he shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth and the isles shall wait for his law thus saith god the lord he that created the heavens and stretched them out he that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it he that giveth breath unto the people up upon it and spirit to them that walk therein i the lord have called thee in righteousness and will hold thy hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people for a light of the gentiles to open the blind eyes to bring out the prisoners from prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house amen do we remember when the ministry of jesus began the particular bible passage he read we read it in the book of luke 4 reading from verse 16 and down to 19 jesus picked the book of isaiah and he read from that passage 
that says in Isaiah 61 verse 1 that he was to bring a sight to those who are blind and the liberty to them that are bruised and preach the acceptable year of the Lord and heal the brokenhearted. Here again in Isaiah 42, he's supposed he is saying he's going to do the same thing. But the particular people he's going to do it to is written. It is for the Gentiles also, not just for the Jews. This is a prophecy that the Christian church at the time did not understand. I'll stop here to say that it is possible like the apostles to be filled with the spirit and the truth is if you are filled with the spirit and you really have the fruits of the spirit your mind will be open to learn new things that you did not know before and that is why the apostles were open to learn new things now that the lord had sent these servants of cornelius to peter to bring him over to cornelius house and preach to him Peter, because of his previous prejudice, thinking that the gospel is for only the Jews, was wondering in his heart what he should do. But he did not disobey the vision and he stood and followed the servants of Cornelius. In verse 24 of Acts chapter 10, we are told, And on the morrow, after they had entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. Here was an evangelism organized for Peter to preach. But Peter then made a statement in verse 28 that is key. When Peter saw all of this, he was wondering. Remember he had that vision of uh, the Lord bringing all kinds of unclean foods telling him to eat and he would say i have not eaten like anything like this since i was born and it happened three times so peter was wondering why because peter knew that that vision cannot be telling him to eat unclean food so he was trying to understand what is this thing about he does not eat unclean food even till that day he said i have never tasted any unclean food so he knew that was not what he was saying so he was trying to get it and now in verse 28 he saw these people and then he understood it clicked and he said unto them you know how it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation but god had showed me that i should not call any man common or unclean amen so peter was beginning to get it that vision that people use as an excuse to eat unclean food today you are just misquoting it or misconstruing it if that's the passage you are using to eat unclean foods. No, that was not the meaning of that. It was simply a vision to make Peter understand that the message of the gospel is to go to the Gentiles. But even now, Peter wasn't so clear as to how much this gospel was to go to them. To what extent was God inviting and bringing in the Gentiles into the Christian church? Verse 29 says, Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying, as soon as I was sent for, I ask therefore for what intent you have sent for me. And Cornelius then told him the vision and what he, uh, what the angel told to him. And Peter responded in verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of oh, a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. The word I say, you know, 
which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus Christ with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly. So Peter continued to preach the principles of the word of God to these men. Now in this preaching, you can tell that he may not have been using the Bible going from scripture to scripture, but he was just telling them exactly what it is, exactly the truth, and they were soaking it in. They were listening. They were grabbing it. Remember that Jesus said in John 6 verse 63, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So as they were receiving everything Peter was speaking from the word of God, they were receiving spirit and life. The Holy Spirit was coming into them and the effect of it now showed. In verse 44, Acts 10 verse 44, it says, while Peter yet speak these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with peter because that on the gentiles also was poured out the gifts of the holy ghost for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify god then answered peter can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the holy ghost as well as we and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the lord then prayed they him to set tarry certain days. Amen. Remember that Peter went, he didn't go alone. He called some of his brethren to go with him. And it was very important that he did that so that they can be witnesses of what he himself was seeing. When Peter went back to meet his brethren in Jerusalem, um, they were not happy. In Simon the Tanner's house and those whom he stayed with, of course, I believe that was in uh, Lida. That's where he was staying. They were not happy with it because they also had that wrong notion that you are not to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. But one good thing about them is even though they were offended, when Peter went from scripture to scripture explaining to them why he did what he did and why it is the will of God, they changed their views immediately. That same day, they did not say, oh, leave it, I'm going to, I'm going to check it by myself later. You see, this is one attitude that some Christians have not being quick to believe the truth slow of heart and many times this slowness of heart is out of our own pride not wanting to change our position peter changed his position immediately as he saw the evidences pointing towards where he didn't go before he believed the gentiles were not to listen to the truth but because of the evidences god was giving him from his word and he saw the holy spirit fall upon them and he knew these people were nice and good people everything clicked for him and he believed the gospel is now to go to the gentiles but the other people too went just like peter when he met them and he explained to them from scripture to scripture these were people who the bible says they were offended with peter so this is not that they were displeased they thought he was presumptuous and were offended that's the word in this offense they could still listen to peter so have you ever been in that situation where somebody brings a particular truth to you and to you it just cuts across what you've ever known and you also may be offended and you didn't like what the person said or did if you have the holy spirit in you and remember these people they were filled with the holy ghost of course if you have the spirit of god in you when an explanation is given to you as to why your position is wrong your offense will change to joy and gladness as it was for the early Christians. 
in the book of Acts chapter 11, reading from verse 1, it says, And the apostles, not just the other disciples, the apostles and brethren. It may be the other 11. I don't know if any other apostle followed Peter, but at least the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word. Verse 2 says, And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him. Amen. But then, as Peter explained everything to them, they changed their offense to joy. Amen. And this is a lesson for us. So, what was it that Peter explained? You know, before Jesus' ascension, the disciples gave evidence that they had not yet come to a full understanding of the extent of Christ's mission. The false interpretations of scriptures handed down to them by the church leaders had not yet left them. They asked Jesus in the book of Acts 1 verse 6 and 7, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father had put in his own power. This is another lesson for us. Jesus knew quite all right that the gospel was to go to the Gentiles. And this question that the disciples asked him showed very clearly their myopic view and the fact that they had not yet gotten it all this while he has been telling them these things. But how did Jesus react? Conflict and Courage, page 335, paragraph 4 tells us, how carefully the Lord worked to overcome the prejudice against the Gentiles that had been so firmly fixed in Peter's mind by his Jewish training. By the vision of the sheet and its contents, he sought to divest the apostles' mind of this prejudice and to teach the important truth that in heaven there is no respect of persons, that Jew and Gentile are alike precious in God's sight, that through Christ the hidden may be made partakers of the blessings and privileges of the gospel." End of quote. Jesus did not at this time explain to them that in, when, before his ascension, he did not explain to them that his mission included the Gentiles, but he simply told them that he was going to make them, in verse 8 he said, you should tarry for the Holy Spirit and I will make you ministers for me in, or in Judea, in Samaria and to all the world. Now when he said to all the world, they did not understand that to all the world meant to all the Gentiles too. And Jesus left it at that. He knew they didn't understand, but he dropped the word nevertheless so that it would tinker in their mind. Jesus did not at that time explain to them, but through Peter, the Lord taught them these lessons. So we learn the lesson that when people see through a glass darkly, do not urge truths that are difficult for them to understand. We should be intelligent to understand the state of mind of those whom we are speaking to, know what to say, and know what to leave unsaid. Evangelism page 125 paragraph 5 tells us, You need not feel that all the truth is to be spoken to unbelievers on any and every occasion. You should plan carefully what to say and what to leave unsaid. This is not practicing deception. It is to work as Paul worked. He says, being crafty, I caught you with guile. You must vary your labor and not have one way which you think must be followed at all times and in all places. Your ways may seem to you a success, but if you used more tact, more of the wisdom of the serpent, you would have seen much more real results of your work." End of quote. Amen.
So that's a lesson for us, the way Jesus dealt with his disciples' lack of understanding. When you see people seeing through a glass darkly, they cannot understand some truth. You know that if you drop this truth now, it's going to shake the place and it will not be for their benefit. Wait for them to slowly begin to understand it. Try to win their confidence. Wait for the right occasion to say it. Don't just drop things that are you know is truth. Yes, even though it is the truth. Wait for the right time to say it. It is not practicing deception, but it is being wise as a serpent like Jesus said. It's your aim not to make them believe the truth. If your real aim is to make them believe it, why then would you tell somebody something when you know that it is only going to create in them the rage of a dragon or something? You have to be careful and try to prepare the soil of the mind so that when the seed is dropped there, it will survive. If you drop a seed on a rocky soil, what do you think will happen? It will not grow. So you have to break up the fallow ground. Try helping the people gradually to come little by little to a certain understanding. And this was what Jesus did with Peter. He didn't just expect Peter to know that he's supposed to preach to the Gentiles. He walked carefully with him. He gave him that vision. An angel had to come to speak to Cornelius and that angel uh, told him what to do. And these men had to find Peter's home. So a lot of wonderful things were happening that broke down Peter's prejudice. How did these men know my house? They even know my name. They know the name of the man I'm staying with, Simon, the tanner. And when I, he reached Cornelius' house, he saw that there was a whole crowd waiting for him to preach to them. All these things broke down the prejudice of Peter. And then the Lord granted to them the gift of the Holy Spirit to break down Peter's prejudice. So it is with us. We should be careful. Let us pray for people who see through a glass darkly and gently, gently tell them truths that you know is true, but their hearts are opposed to. Gently say it so that they can receive it, not in a way that will make them antagonistic. Now that the Lord had revealed to Peter the truth concerning his mission to the Gentiles and Peter gladly accepted the lesson, it tells us that we must be open to learn because as we travel along with Christ, we may have the same experience of Peter. We are not to hold on to our long-held traditions in the face of glaring evidences of truth from God's word. So what are some of the prophecies that are the truth that broke down Peter's um, prejudice and the others too? In the book of Isaiah 49, reading from verse 5 to 7 again, we see a prophecy talking about the Gentiles' relation to the truth. It says, And now said the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him. Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the world of the earth. Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, and his Holy One, to whom man despiseth, to him whom the nation abhorreth, to a servants of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship, because of the Lord that is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, and he shall choose thee. Amen. So in this prophecy again is delineated the mission of Jesus Christ as a light to the Gentiles. I'm not just the lowly Gentiles, but it talks about princes and kings, that he will be a light to them. And in Cornelius, also in the centurion, this was being fulfilled. The book of Daniel chapter 9 verse 25 
told us that 490 years, which is 70 weeks, if you change 70 weeks for 90 days, which is 490 years in prophetic uh, interpretation, 490 years were given to the Jews. What had happened at this year? This year that con- that Peter was preaching to Cornelius, do you know when it is? It is at the 490th year. The Jews had sealed their destiny. And we will look at that in subsequent devotions in more detail. But in 457 BC, when the counting began, it ended for the Jews 490 years later. So from 457 BC, if you count 490 years, you will end in AD 34. When Stephen preached and they stoned him to death, the Jews sealed their destiny and the gospel now went to the Gentiles. And here it was that Peter was the one for helping for that work to be done. Also in Isaiah 60 verse 1 to 3, we see another prophecy to that effect. It says, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Amen. Today, Many there are who call themselves God's church. True, you may be God's commandment-keeping people and his church. But be careful not to cherish the thought that it is only those within your own denomination that are God's church. Look at what Peter said in definition of who God's church is. Acts chapter 10 verse 34 and 35. Peter said, he opened his mouth and said, Of a truth. I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, him that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Amen. Peter must have remembered Jesus' teaching in the book of John chapter 10. Jesus said from verse 1, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber, but he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Amen. Now, hear the relationship between Jesus and his people. Here it says, he calls the sheep by name, and then the sheep hears his voice. I once saw a video of exactly this thing. There was a shepherd, it was on YouTube I saw it, a shepherd was standing and he called a lot of people to do a particular sound. He told them exactly the sound to do, to call the sheep and every one of them were trying it. They were calling, calling and calling the sheep who they were afar off. Not one sheep responded. I say again, not one sheep responded. Perhaps I'll share the link to this video for those who are on the platform. Not one responded. People tried and tried and tried and tried and the shepherd was just watching them and then they told him to try. Immediately he made the sound as he did it. Every one of those sheep started to run towards him. Indeed, of a truth, the sheep know their master's voice and the master knows them by name. That is what happened to Cornelius and Jesus said that the sheep he is referring to was not just the Jews. Reading now from verse 11, from verse 11 it says, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and liveth the sheep and fleeth and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. Verse 16 now, 
Jesus said, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Amen. How do we know? Are you a sheep of the Lord? How do you know if you are a sheep? If you hear the word of God, now hear this very direct test. There are people who love to deceive themselves. And I really pray that you are not among them. Are you among those who read the word of God, telling you, do this, do that, do this, do that, but yet you reject it? Telling yourself that you are still a believer, you are still a sheep, but it's just that those things that you are reading is not necessary. It's the shepherd doesn't expect you to do it. Please, it will be good for you to be do the best thing you can do to yourself. Do yourself some good and tell yourself, I am not a sheep. Because if you are a sheep, you will hear and you will not rationalize and you will not downplay. You will not dilute. You will hear the voice of the shepherd and you will listen and respond like Cornelius did. The true sheep does not rationalize the truth. They do not dilute it. They do not compromise it. They hear and they follow. How do we know them? Jesus said that they will hear his voice and respond. And they are not confined to a certain building, to a certain denomination. Rather, we know them by the fact that they respond to the truth when it is preached to them regardless of where they are, regardless of the religion, regardless of the denomination. In the case of Cornelius, it was not about Christian denomination here. This was about another religion. This is a man who was not a Jew. Therefore, he doesn't believe, not he doesn't know the God of the Jews, neither does he believe in Jesus Christ. But nevertheless, he was hearing the voice of the Lord all this while, and he gave evidence to that in that he was giving alms and doing good works and was a man of prayer. He didn't know certain things, and now the Lord increased his knowledge. Some of us, like Cornelius, may be doing the same things, but the Lord will test our sincerity to know whether we are truly sheep or we are just moralists. There are people today like Cornelius, giving arms, doing good, praying. But when the truth comes to them, a test has come. We will know now whether they are the sheep. Will they hear his voice or not? When they do hear his voice, we know that truly this is a sheep of the Lord but in another fold and the Lord is gathering him into one fold. But then when they do hear and yet do not respond, they give evidence that they have just been mere moralists or just doing these things for, I don't know, some other reason, but they certainly are not the sheep of God. Peter said in Acts 10 verse 34 and 35, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. And I would say, in every nation, in every religion, in every denomination, if the people there as individuals are fearing God, which is keeping his commandments. That's what it means to fear God. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs 8 verse 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride, arrogancy, the evil way, and the forward mouth to our hate. The Bible also tells us in the book of Deuteronomy 4, reading from verse 6, the Lord said, I will teach you to fear me 
and then he gave them the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is what teaches us to fear the Lord. And this is what it means that Cornelius feared God. He was living in harmony with the commandments of God that he knew, at least the last six commandments. He would be no adulterer. He would not steal. He would not kill. He would not also bear false witness against his neighbor or covet his neighbor's property. And he was a respectful man to everyone around him. He honored people. This man feared God. And in every nation, every denomination, those who fear God, God counts them as his people. Those who are the sheep will in love to God keep the commandments of God and will not see it as grievous. Reading from Desire of Ages, page 480, paragraph 3 and 4, we are told, It is not the fear of punishment or the hope of everlasting reward that leads the disciples of Christ to follow him. They behold the Savior's matchless love revealed throughout his pilgrimage on earth. From the manger of Bethlehem to Calvary's cross and the sight of him attracts, it softens and subdues the soul. Love awakens in the heart of the beholders. They hear his voice and they follow him. As the shepherd goes before his sheep, himself first encountering the perils of the way, so does Jesus with his people. When he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them. The way to heaven is consecrated by the Savior's footprints. The path may be steep and rugged, but Jesus has traveled that way. His feet have pressed down the cruel thorns to make the pathway easier for us. Every burden that we are called to bear, he himself has borne. End of quote. Jesus taught upon the souls all over the earth who were misled by false shepherds. Those whom he longed to gather as the sheep of his pasture were scattered among wolves, and he said, Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and shall become one flock, one shepherd. John 10 verse 16. End of quote. So, brothers and sisters, the lesson for us is that we are to take this message to all the world also, just as Peter was commissioned to do the same. And God's church on this earth is not defined merely by the name of a denomination. It's not defined merely by the building you are sitting in when you worship. It is defined by those who keep God's commandments. Upward look, page 315, paragraph 5 and 6 says, God has a church. It is not the great cathedral, neither is it the national establishment, neither is it the various denominations. It is the people who love God and keep his commandments. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them, Matthew 18 verse 20. Where Christ is, even among the humble few, this is Christ's church. For the presence of the High and Holy One who inhabited eternity can alone constitute a church. I'll continue the reading, but what we read now says, those who love God and keep his commandments, that's his church. Someone may be saying, oh, that includes me. But you need to be sure that you are keeping God's commandments. The government commandments of God are not nine. They're not eight, seven, six, five. They are ten. And every one of them is relevant. Some people think that they are God's church and they are told, these are the commandments of God, but immediately we get to the fourth commandment. They tell you, oh, it's not relevant. Do you know that that same Bible, which is the shepherd, speaks to us, the sheep, and tells us that if we offend in one point, that is the book of James chapter 2, verse 10 to 12, we are told that if we keep all the commandments and offend in one point, we become guilty of all. 
the Sabbath has not been done away with. Jesus said in the book of Matthew 5 verse 17, Do not think that I came to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. So if anyone teaches that the commandments has been done away with, you are not saying the truth. Jesus in fact said in verse 18, Jesus said, Till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or tittle shall in any wise pass from the law be until all be fulfilled. So when we are talking about being God's church here, we are talking about people who thoroughly keep the commandments of God, all of them, not some of them. Going on in the reading, we are told where two or three are present who love and obey the commandments of God, Jesus there presides. Let it be in the desolate place of the earth, in the wilderness, in the city enclosed in prison walls. The glory of God has penetrated the prison walls, flooding with glorious beams of heavenly light the darkest dungeon. His saints may suffer, but their sufferings will, like the apostles of old, spread their faith and win souls to Christ and glorify his name. The bitterest opposition expressed by those who hate God's moral standard of righteousness should not and will not shake the steadfast soul who trusts fully in God. End of quote. May we be among the sheep of God. May we hear the voice of the shepherd and not say it is not relevant, but rather respond with immediacy to whatever the truth says to us, confirming ourselves as the sheep of the Lord. Let us pray. Thank you, dear Father in heaven, for these words you have spoken to us. The truth comes to test us as to see whether we are sheep or not. Please, Father, give us a sincere heart, that we may not be following the fire of our own kindling, but like Cornelius, we'll follow every light we have received, and as new light comes to us, we'll continue to respond to it and rise up to a greater nearness to you. And like the apostles too, if we have any false traditions we have held on to from our childhood, help us, Lord, to be willing and ready to give it up and to accept the truth as it is in Jesus. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen.